1: What is happening, New York Rangers fans? And welcome to episode 94 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network. And we've got a fun episode on tap for you guys today. This is the final episode before Christmas. We're just a few days away. So don't forget to get that last minute shopping in if you still have things on your list couple things keep hitting me every day I think I'm done. And then I'm like, oh, actually, what about this person? Or I kind of want to get one more thing for this other person. And it was interesting today in particular, because I took the little guy with me to Dick's Sporting Goods, which was not exactly what I wanted as far as the gift that I was looking for. But it was a great time for him. I spent most of the time chasing him around. He recently figured out how to say shoes. So you can imagine when he saw the section with all the sneakers, how excited he was to go and pick up every shoe and then go up to strangers and hold it up and say, shoes, shoes. So that's how my morning went. (laughs) I hope you guys had a good day and are having a good week and are excited for the holidays. Happy Hanukkah to those who are celebrating and Merry Christmas to those who are getting ready to celebrate that. Happy Holidays to anybody who celebrates anything different. I am very excited to get some time with the family this weekend and very thankful that the NHL and the Players Union negotiated this three-day, basically, work stoppage for the 24th, 25th, and 26th so that all the players get to go and spend time with their families. And it just so happens reporters get to do the same thing. So that will be nice, and I'm very much looking forward to it. But let's talk some hockey before we start really turning the page and, and focusing on the holidays here. And the Rangers have been rolling. I mean, last week we talked about this a bit because that winning streak had started. They extended that winning streak all the way to seven games. They took care of business over the weekend against two of the bottom-feeding teams in the league when they played Chicago. And prior to beating Chicago, they picked up a win in Philadelphia over the Flyers so those wins you can chalk them off as easy or or wins that they need to have but the fact is that they went and they took care of business on both road games then they head to Pittsburgh on Tuesday that was the matchup that I know a lot of people were excited to see because it was the first time that those two teams had met since last year in the playoffs in the first round where everybody of course remembers the Rangers fell down to a 3-1 series deficit, and then they rallied to win three games in a row and take that series in dramatic fashion, and then they march on and keep winning all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. So a lot of good memories for the Rangers and a lot of good memories for their fans against the Penguins. They did have their losing streak snapped in that game. The Penguins won by a score of 3-2, to but honestly, it's hard to be too critical of that loss for me at least, because I felt like the Rangers played a solid game. I thought they were clearly the better team for the first 30 minutes. They only had a 1-0 lead. Tristan Jari for the Penguins, the goalie, definitely made some some quality saves against them, but they also hit two posts, a crossbar, a little bit of that unfortunate puck luck came back after it had kind of gone away for a little while for them, and, and they weren't able to pad that lead when they had the opportunities and then they take a couple penalties late in the second period, especially the one from Sammy Blay with about two minutes left in that period really was a killer because Pittsburgh was able to convert on both of those power play opportunities in the second period. They take a 2-1 to lead into the third. And then the third was back and forth. You know, Sidney Crosby gets a goal to extend the Penguins' lead to 3-1. Chris Kreider responds right back after a really nice, Transition play from Vincent Trocek, who's been playing well recently, and and he cuts the deficit down to to 3-2 again. The Rangers are pushing and pushing and pushing. The the call that everybody's talking about, or I guess the non-call that everybody's talking about, was Mika Zibanejad gets tripped by Brian Dumoulin with about 42 seconds left to go in that game. Mika was driving to the net and quite clearly got tripped. If you watched the replay, the slow motion, any angle pretty much showed it that Dumoulin reaches out with his stick and clearly trips Mika right around the ankle and Mika goes down hard and slides into the goalie, but there was no call on the play. So that was for the Rangers. They had every right to be upset about the non-call there. I know Rangers fans have been talking about it in the last handful of hours and whether or not that would have changed the outcome of the game or not, that is something we'll never really know the answer to, but the Rangers at the very least should have had a short power play there to end the game. And who knows how that would have turned out because they also probably would have pulled the goalie and you would have been looking at a six on four situation. And with how good the Rangers power play has been recently, of course, you would have liked to have that opportunity. They didn't get it. So they lose three to two, but they're going to see the Penguins a few more times this season. That feels like it's going to be prime time matchups every time. It didn't necessarily look like there was bad blood in between these two teams. Like, I don't think you saw a lot of plays that looked like they were on the verge of of fighting or things like that, but it was a hard-fought game, a well-played game, not a whole lot of mistakes from either side, aside from the penalties from the Rangers, of course, that we mentioned in the second period, but really felt like a bit of a heavyweight matchup and was definitely a, a quality game. And for the losing streak to end that way, I don't think that's too much of a bitter pill for the Rangers to swallow. I think overall, the the way that this team is playing and the way that they're feeling within the locker room is very positive right now, and it's a stark, stark difference from where they were about a month ago. I, I wrote about this the other day, and I wanted to touch on it here on the podcast. If you look at some of the analytics, the possession numbers, the scoring chance numbers, they don't look great for the Rangers During this recent stretch, although they were pretty good in Pittsburgh, like if you look at the expected goal rates for that game, the Rangers look like they probably should have won that game, at least as far as the metrics are concerned, the Rangers, I thought, for the most part outplayed the Penguins in that one. But overall, for the course of the losing, uh, I'm sorry, for the course of the winning streak, the Rangers expected goal rate was well under 50%. But I don't think that means we should be dismissive of the winning streak. And I want to explain why. There's a variety of things, tangible evidence for this Rangers team that I think when you look at objectively, you say, OK, well, the Rangers are winning because all of these things are going right and they're doing X, Y, and Z well. The thing at the very top of that list is Igor Shesterkin. I know going into that game against Pittsburgh over the previous five games, his save percentage was up over 950. So he has all of a sudden gotten hot at the right time. He has helped turn this season around. He is looking a lot like the goalie who carried the Rangers last season. And that is the kind of thing that we just can't overstate the importance of. Igor is the most important player on this team. Everybody knows it. And when he is on top of his game, the Rangers are a very difficult team to beat. And that has been critical for them in the last few weeks as they've turned their season around. But there's other things as well that I think you have to give them credit for. The five-on-five or even strength scoring has improved. That was a glaring issue for this team for the first almost two months of the season. But you look at those seven wins that they had in a row, they managed 24 even strength goals in that period. That's almost three and a half even strength goals per game. If you're You don't even have to maintain that level. If you're around three even strength goals per game, that's a really, really solid place to be. And if the Rangers can maintain that, or at least come close to maintaining that, I think they're going to be in much better shape down the stretch here. A big part of that is their shooting percentage, and we've talked about this before. Whether it's better finishing or whether it's better puck luck, it's probably a combination of the two. But you look at their first 26 games, The Rangers were shooting at about 7.5%. That was the second to worst shooting percentage in the entire league. Now, in these last seven, eight games, they're up over 13%. And that's a huge difference. 7.5 to 13 is massive when it comes to shooting percentage. So, all of a sudden, even though they're still finding ways to hit posts all the time, it feels like. The Rangers have been converting their opportunities at a much higher rate. That's leading to better five-on-five production. And in turn, that's leading to more wins. So that's a big part of this winning streak as well. Special teams, I think, has been really, really big for them. And you see what happens. The Rangers lost the special teams battle in Pittsburgh. They went over 3 on the power play. Meanwhile, Pittsburgh goes 2-3. for 3, And that is clearly the difference in the game. But prior to that, the Rangers had been winning the special teams battle on a nightly basis. And that also was a major part of this winning streak. And while it's a little bit risky to rely on special teams to win you games all the time, like if you don't get a power play, you can't rely on your power play to score because if the whistles aren't getting blown on a particular night, you're going to be in trouble. But that is part of their recipe. That was a huge part of their success last season and it was a huge part of that seven game winning streak. The power play during that seven game winning streak was exactly 50%. That's that's pretty ridiculous. And the penalty kill on the other hand, which has been really good prior to the Penguin game, during the seven game winning streak was up at about 90% success rate. So you add those two things into the equation and that's yet another thing you can check off the list. Of reasons why the Rangers have turned things around. And then this, I also think, is an important part of it, and that's the depth. We've We've raised legitimate questions about the depth of this team, and I still think, and we're going to talk to Emily about this in just a little bit, that at the trade deadline, if the Rangers are planning to duplicate their success of last year, They're going to need to add at least one forward and they're probably going to need to get a bottom pair defenseman. So we're actually going to get into some of those possible scenarios with Emily in just a little bit about who they might be looking to acquire. But as far as the team that they have right now, the depth guys have been stepping up recently and it's made the whole lineup look better. A big part of that is the kids. You look at the kid line, which has been reunited in the last handful of games. Lafreniere, Hedl, and Kako have all been productive during that seven-game winning streak. Each of those three had six points. So each of those guys was at almost a point per game during that winning streak. That's absolutely huge for the Rangers because we've talked about this at length before. When they let all those guys go in the offseason, Vitrano, Kopp, Strom, Mott, the idea was that the kids were the ones who needed to backfill those roles and make up for that lost production. When they weren't doing it early in the season, the Rangers were struggling. Now all of a sudden they've picked things up and it's no coincidence that the team is winning more. But it's not just it's not just those three. Keandre Miller, he did have one mistake. I thought he pinched up a little bit too high on that Crosby goal on Tuesday night, but other than that, this guy's been playing at a really high level. In the last couple weeks, I know during that seven game winning streak, he was averaging a point per game as well. So you're seeing the offense really come into fruition for him, but also his defensive play and his stick work and his mobility and all those physical tools that he has. Those have been showing up in a big way. So I think you have to give Miller some credit for the way that he's stepped up. Braden Schneider, I think, is a guy that just continues to get better. Another young kid who's making a lot of progress for the Rangers. And then not just the kids. But I also like, and I tweeted about this on Tuesday night, I like the look more and more each game of that Trocheck, Kreider, Jimmy VC line. Jimmy VC was huge for the Rangers last week. He had a pair of goals, I think, it, it wasn't in the win against the Flyers, it was the game before that, but VC had a big game at the Garden where his value just continues to keep bubbling to the surface and... A lot of people that questioned that signing when the Rangers made it, they're pretty quiet right now because VC has fit in really, really well for this team. Kreider was a little bit cold as far as his goal scoring for a while, but he ends up getting two goals in Pittsburgh. And Trocek, to me, is the guy that 12 points in his last eight games, he has elevated his level. And I asked him in particular a few days ago about the way that things are working with this line right now versus how they were working when he was playing with Panarin and things weren't clicking. And he said that playing with Kreider and VC, he said, we're all North South guys, which means they're all guys that like to get up and down the ice really quickly. They're they're 200 foot players who are responsible defensively, but also will make sure that they're getting in on the forecheck. And he said that that makes him feel like he always has support. It, it feels like they've simplified things. They're getting up and down the ice really quickly and really efficiently. And now you're starting to see them understand where the other one is on the ice. And Kreider and Trocek were responsible for both of those goals against the Penguins on Tuesday. So I, I really like the way that that line is playing. And I really think that Trocek is a guy who's trending up right now. So you add in all of these things that we're talking about. And even though the XG stuff doesn't look great for the Rangers during that winning streak, I think all of these other factors explain why the Rangers are having success. And it's a very similar formula to what we saw last year. Good play from Igor, good special teams. You want to get that shooting percentage up, and you want to get some contributions from some of the depth guys to take the pressure off the stars like Panarin and Zabanajad and Adam Fox. So, Those things are going well for the Rangers right now, and I think that's why the feeling around this team is so much different. We talked about this last week. Whether you want to call it confidence, good vibes, just the locker room, when you walk into it now compared to a month ago, it's a completely different feeling. And I I really do think that those positive feelings in the locker room right now and that confidence, that, that feeling that the team has that they're never out of any game and No adversity is too much for them to overcome. That permeates throughout the whole room. And I I can't overstate that enough. That That is the feeling you get right now with this team. And that was another one of those missing pieces for them when they weren't playing well. So they've got one more game now remaining. They've got the Islanders coming to Madison Square Garden on Thursday night. Of course, I'll be in the building for that. And then we go into the Christmas break. I'll be taking, I should actually note while we're on that subject, I'll be taking next week, at least as far as the podcast is concerned, off that weekend between Christmas and New Year's. So this will be our final episode of the 2022 year. Uh, So I'll have more information for you guys on that in the coming days and, and next couple of weeks. But I wanted to get to our interview with Emily. There's one more thing I want to mention, though, before we get to that. And that is that the team... I was in Philadelphia with them on Saturday, but logistically, it was just going to be a nightmare to try to get back to New York and catch a flight in time to make it to Chicago for the next game. So I didn't end up going on the Chicago-Pittsburgh trip with the Rangers. Instead, I hung back and I was able to cross something off my list that I've been wanting to do. I always try to pick one spot, at least one, during the season to drive up to Connecticut and visit with the Hartford team. And so I was able to get up there on Tuesday. I watched their full practice and hung around afterwards, spoke to a handful of players, spent about 15, 20 minutes with the head coach over there, Chris Knobloch, and really got a good feel for what's going on there. That team, we talked about it a little bit on the podcast this year, was off to a really, really rough start. They're in last place in their division still, but things have been turning around for them recently. They've won three out of their last four, and I think the pieces are starting to fall into place a little bit for them. Remember, a lot of new faces there, a lot of young guys. They're breaking in a lot of prospects, whether it's Will Cooley who I spoke to, whether it's, you know, guys like Carl Henriksen and Gustav Rydal, who came, both of those guys came over from Sweden, some of the young defensemen, some other young forwards. There's just a lot of new faces, which is that just comes with the territory for pretty much any AHL team. But the Rangers brought in a lot of their prospects to start to try to use them there. And there were some early growing pains and struggles. But I I can tell you from being there, the feeling is that it's starting to turn around. I still do wonder when you look at the overall depth of that roster, just how good they can be. The scoring has been an issue. They'll tell you they feel like their defense and their goaltending has been pretty good. But the offense has not been there as consistently, although it's been better recently. But I got to catch up with Zach Jones. I got to catch up with Will Cooley, Dylan Garand, Matthew Robertson. I have a couple stories that I just want to quickly mention that are coming out on those guys. The first one already got published on Wednesday morning. That was based on my conversation with Zach Jones. And I just have to tell you guys, that to me was a really eye opening conversation. I mean, I had talked to Zach a handful of times while he was in New York, but. I think the perspective now and the honesty, I got to give him a lot of credit because he said things that I think some guys might be thinking in the back of their head, but not want to say out loud, not want to make themselves seem vulnerable. But to Zach's credit, you know, he said some stuff to me like he was overthinking things. It got into his head, the fact that he was in the lineup some nights, coming out of the lineup on other nights. It definitely seems he started to feel like, If I make a mistake or if I don't play a good game here, I'm not going to stay in the lineup. And he said that mentally that took a toll and he was having trouble keeping those negative thoughts out of his head. A line that I use in the story from him, he said for the first time in his life, he felt nervous when he had the puck. He's always been a guy that's known for his skill, known for his decision-making. It's always felt so natural for him to be in those situations where the puck's on his stick and he gets to make plays. But he said it got to the point in the NHL where he was overthinking things and he was even nervous with the puck on his stick. So that was an issue. It's an issue that I think he recognized and that he seems to be trying to get back now that he's with Hartford. Quite frankly, it does make me think more and more About the Rangers and the way that they handle these guys when they get to the NHL level, because clearly it's not just Jones. This has been multiple guys, whether it's Krotzoff, whether it's Lafreniere, whether it's Kako before them, whether it's Leas Anderson, Brett Howden, all these different guys. The the constant being yanked around. Okay, you're gonna play on this line one day, you're gonna play on another line the next day. Okay, you're in the lineup one day, you're out of the lineup the next. I just from talking to these players. And again, it's not just Jones, it's multiple guys. I just have to wonder if this is the best course of action or if there needs to be more runway for them, if if fueling their confidence and taking that into consideration before you make some of these decisions is something that, as an organization, they haven't done a good enough job of. Jones didn't directly come out and say that. He was only speaking about his situation, his personal feelings on the matter. And he said repeatedly, look, this is a business. I get it. If I'm not playing well enough, I I don't expect to stay in the lineup. He certainly wasn't complaining about anything. But this is just my interpretation, my opinion on this. I just wonder if there are lessons to be learned here. And, And hearing a guy talk about starting to play nervous, starting to get into his own head too much, are there things that you could do? to prevent that? Are there things that you could do to prop him up rather than let this doubt creep into his mind? So that was definitely one of my takeaways from the Hartford trip. And you can go read that full story with a lot of really candid quotes from Jones on loha.com slash sports slash Rangers. Working on another story today, it should be out by the time you guys hear this podcast on Will Cooley, who I think most would consider the top forward prospect for the Wolf Pack right now. But there's going to be a few different stories to come out of this trip. So definitely be on the lookout for those in the coming days. So I want to quickly touch on that. And now we're going to transition to our interview with Emily Kaplan. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Now let's welcome into the show a guest whose brain I'm very excited to pick here. You you guys have seen her probably all over ESPN. She does great work covering the entire league there. You've seen her in between the benches. She even got Gerard Gallant to open up a little bit in between periods the other night, which I can tell you from experience, that is not an easy thing to do. So Emily Kaplan is here. And Emily, welcome. Thank you so much for doing this.
0: Vince, thank you for having me. Before we get into the combo, I just want to say I think you do a terrific job covering the Rangers. I always look for your coverage. It's hard as a national reporter. You just kind of swoop in and out and I'm consistently, you bring an A game. So once you asked me to do this, it was an honor.
1: Emily, I I swear I did not pay her to say that. You did not need to say that, but I, (laughs) I appreciate it. You
0: didn't, but I'll leave my Venmo account at the end.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love your work too. And it's really a pleasure to have you on. And and I want to, we're definitely going to like crunch in on some Rangers stuff here, but I want to get some league perspective as well. But, for full transparency, when I first reached out to Emily and asked her to come on, it was while well, the Rangers were not playing well. They were in the middle of a rough patch. They had lost, I think it was five out of six at the time, 10 out of 15. Their, their overall record was not good. They were outside of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. And I know that Emily, as well as I, had both been kind of reporting that you know there was some unrest in the organization. The the seat under HUD coach Gerard Gallant was starting to get a little bit hot. But But since then now... Seven wins in a row at the time of this recording could be eight by the time the show comes out. So that obviously has cooled the seat quite significantly under Gallant. But I wanted to just circle back on that just to lead things off because I know you did a lot of reporting around it. What is your read on that situation now?
0: It was a complicated one. And just to, you know, be completely transparent with everything that I say. First, I have a lot of respect for Gerard Gallant. You know, in my role, one of the things I have to do is interview the coaches in game. It's an uncomfortable exercise for so many coaches. Gerard has always treated me with so much respect, even if he doesn't love doing it, even if he doesn't give the loquacious answers that say a John Cooper would at the Eastern Conference Final. um, I always felt like he, you know, treated me with respect. So when you report something like someone's job status, um, you do it with a lot of gravity because it's serious. And, you know, I respect him as a human being. I know there's a lot of players that do as well. Um, But I was starting to hear from multiple different people, both within the Rangers organization um, and outside. that That's the situation to keep your eye on. At the time, the New York Knicks were not doing well either, and I was told from someone within the MSG organization that James Dolan, the owner, was more concerned with the Rangers at the moment, and he was keeping a close eye on Gerard gallant, and one of the things at that time, again, the team was like kind of heading into the abyss. They weren't looking great. It was a significant step back from last year's team, um, and the expectations we all had of them was that James Dolan wanted him to show more accountability. Um, So that's the reporting that I had on the time. And again, um, it was from multiple sources and it was pretty firm. And if you know anything in professional sports, specifically in the New York market, things can escalate quickly when you start to hear those murmurs. Um, they can also de-escalate quickly. And that's exactly what happened. And I do think that things were getting to a pressure point in New York and they were very much considering a change if things continued to spiral. And then they didn't. And then they kept winning. And so right now, um, I feel pretty good about the fact that Gerard Gallant is the coach of this team. I think things have settled down in the fact that they realize they're in a good direction. The hangover from last year was real. And some of these young players just kind of need to figure out how to live up to that expectation and play consistently every night. And the effort that they've been showing lately is so much more consistent than the expectations that we had for them. Um, so right now things have settled down and that's always a good thing because again, we never want to see someone lo- lose their job, um, but it is something to monitor because if it got to the point that it was a few weeks ago, it can always bubble up again.
1: Yeah. And not that Emily needs me to verify anything, but everyone who listens to the podcast and reads everything knows I was hearing a lot of the same things. It was very much a topic of conversation for a while. And and now here we are and and things have changed. And, you know, I I think obviously they're going to roll with what they got for the foreseeable future because of this seven game winning streak. If they hit another really bad rough patch that could change. And and I, I think, we can say that with confidence at this point, but I guess where you probably have a little more knowledge than me is the the coaching landscape as a whole. And, and one of the things that, that I was talking to people about at the time was if you make a change, you know, you wouldn't think, that a team with the kind of aspirations that the Rangers have would necessarily go to an assistant. I do know that their their Hartford coach with their AHL team, Chris Knobloch. I know that a lot of people in the organization like him. But one of the things that I was wondering about, and I, I wonder if you whether it's Rangers or anybody. Are there free agent coaches out there that would be splashy, that would be an impact experience kind of guy? I know Barry Trots is a name that quite a few people have brought up. Like, would Trots be available in season for whether it's the Rangers or anybody else? Are there other coaching names out there? Or is that maybe one of the deterrents is that if you make a change at this stage, who are you going to?
0: Yeah, so the reason why there were, you know, there was pressure on at that point is because the Rangers were trending or looking like they were going to miss the playoffs. And in the NHL, it's, you know, the parity is greater than ever. The chances of making the playoffs are, they are 50%, even though we've expanded the league so much. Um, But they mean a lot to teams. And that revenue that you get from hosting home playoff games at Madison Square Garden is not insignificant. So if they were going to make a change, it was all for just making the playoffs this year. And if that's going to happen in season, you know, yes, it's really great to get a coach that is young and give them an opportunity to grow you want someone with proven experience and you want someone who can kind of smack some structure back into the group. Um, in my opinion, the number one name on the market and everyone I keep hearing consistently about is Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz is currently in Nashville. Um, he's living there. He's around his family. He went through a lot of family things last year. It was very difficult for him to be a part. Um, he's had some death in the family. He just wanted some time to be around those closest to him to take a step back and reevaluate his options Everything I'm hearing about him is that he's not in a rush to get behind the bench. He'd like to. And I think that he also has aspirations to be involved more in a front office role to have say over player personnel matters. Um, So whatever opportunity he does take, I think he's looking for some upward mobility in that way. Um, But as of now, it doesn't seem like his future in the NHL is imminent. I know he went on a podcast last week kind of downplaying it. All it takes is one call and all it takes is somebody to say, hey, I'm going to throw this amount of money at you. Original Six organization. Maybe it's a team that looks like it's going to win a Stanley Cup and he could change his mind. Um, I just don't know um, if he's going to be behind a bench this year, Um, but he would be the one that I think the Rangers would target if they were trying to make an in-season change. Um, In general, if teams are making an off-season change, then you kind of look at the broader market. And in general, I just want to make this point. I think the NHL is way too small-minded in their coaching hires we see retreads again and again, and it's the same voices um, just behind different benches. And I'd like for us as just a sport in general um, to look outside the box and look at guys who came up from different paths and don't look exactly the same way. I'd like us to look at women. I have a good friend who is now behind the bench of an NHL team, Jessica Campbell. I think she'll be an NHL coach one day. Um, but if we just, you know, in general, this is just kind of the, the soapbox I want to stand on for a minute. Um, I'd like us to look that way, but I think that uh, Barry Trotz or one of the retreads is probably a direction they would have gone in if they uh, made an in-season change.
1: Yeah, I'm absolutely on the same page with you there. I would like to see more innovation. I would like to see some fresh faces, but I do sense what that... About it... someone
0: from Europe? Why is there no European coaches?
1: That's, that's, another, that's another good question, but I, I do get the sense just like you that if the Rangers were to make a move, it would be for probably, for lack of a better term, one of the retreads, one of the guys who's been there done that before. So I think that's all part of the equation here. But listen... The Rangers are rolling. I definitely think Gerard Glenn has bought himself plenty of time. I mean, at this point, I think it would take a really, really bad stretch for that conversation to come up again. I think they're very happy with where they're at in the direction that the team is heading, which leads to the next question: Rangers again, seven time, seven wins in a row at the time of this uh, recording. I think no active team has a winning streak that long. Are they the hottest team in the league? Like, how do you feel about them and where they stack up right now? <laughs>
0: they are a streaky team. Um, and that's what we've seen. And right now they're streaking in the right direction. I think they're starting to play with the confidence and the swag that we saw last year in the playoffs. And that's what made them so good. Was everyone just believing themselves, having confidence. Um, Philip is a guy, you know, I spent some time with him in the summer at the Paris uh, player media tour in Europe. And he just talked about that last year's playoff taught him what confidence was. And once he unlocked it, he became a different player. And I think that was the case for so many players. They were not a confident group a couple weeks ago. They're starting to build that up again. Um, when they're confident, they can compete with any team in the league. Consistently, they just haven't shown it for long stretches this year. I think a team like Boston has shown it much more over a long stretch. So, like they would be the hottest team in the league to me, just because of what they have of a mm-hmm. longer track record. But. Uh, right now, the Rangers are playing like they can beat any team in the league. And that's exactly where they should be based off of last year's expectations.
1: Yeah, I wrote about this for our pregame story before the the Tuesday game against Pittsburgh. But th- the feeling in the locker room right now is starting to resemble what we saw last year. Whereas a month ago, it was it was a quieter place to be. It just did not have the same vibes that we were getting from this team. And it's not a tangible thing. It's hard to quantify that. But. That confidence, that self-belief can really be a powerful tool. And when the Rangers had that last year, we saw what they were able to accomplish. And I think that that knack for finding ways to win, for overcoming adversity, we're we're seeing some of those signs right now during the seven-game winning streak. Even though in each individual game during this winning streak, you could point to a a period or a stretch where you're like, hey, they really didn't look great there, but they they find ways to overcome that, which I think has been a really important thing for them. But you, you size up this roster as a whole. And there are holes and and we've seen what the Rangers have done with the Ryan Reeves trade in particular, freed up some salary cap space. Their accrual is kind of where they want it to be now, where they should have, you know, seven, eight, maybe even $9 million to spend around the trade deadline if they keep going in this direction. And so the question then becomes, how do they fill those holes and who's available to fill those holes? I think the, the two biggest needs, at least to me, number one, They need some kind of a top nine forward, preferably with scoring touch and speed, I think is what they would really like to to, uh, add. And right wing is their weakest area right now. And then you look at their decor, there's still a hole at that number six defenseman spot, that left handed spot on the bottom pair. So the big disclaimer here is it's super early. I tell people this all the time, but we're not going to get a really good read on the market for a while because some teams are waiting to see, are they going to be contenders or are they going to drop out of the race? So you're not going to really have a great feel for who's available for a little while still, but I know you're on top of this stuff. So I have to ask you while I have you as far as right wing scoring forwards or left-handed defensemen, are there names out there that intrigue you as possibilities for the Rangers?
0: Yeah, you know, this year has been so strange because typically we get a couple big trades by now. Everything has just been so slower. GMs have been kind of griping to me. It's impossible to get anything done. Like you said, there's a few teams figuring out which direction they're going to go. But there's also just teams so strapped against the salary cap. They need to wait as long as possible for that cap maneuvering. Um, You know, two names I think will be a lot of interest to Rangers fans um, as far as a scoring winger. One, of course, is Patrick Kane. Let's just get the elephant out of the way.
1: Uh, We Uh, had to go there.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, his nickname is Showtime. Of course, it makes sense in New York. I think one of the biggest reasons that he would go to New York is because in his time in Chicago, um, he had two years with Artemi Panarin, and he says, that was the best nightmate I've ever had. I've never felt like someone saw me on the ice. I never felt like I had better chemistry. Those two love each other. We saw that when they're goofing off pregame any time they play each other. Um, Where stands with Patrick right now. There is no guarantee that he's going to get traded from Chicago. Uh, The Blackhawks are waiting until the new year, and they expect to hear from Kane and Taze of which direction they'd like to go. Um, Again, they have no movement clauses. They'll be very selective over where they want to go. It's a complicated deal to get done. And I know from the Chicago side, they're expecting a big package, specifically first-round picks. They're in a rebuild right now. They're trying to amass as many prospects and top talent as possible. Um, And they're going to hold a firm asking price. So that's going to be something the Rangers have to figure out. Is that something they're willing to give up? A player with term that has recently become available, a player that is a naturally gifted scorer um, and is, you know, had some ups and downs. And this year, I think, is dealing with some personal challenges off the ice as well. Uh, it's also a tough market for him to be in. I feel like this one big page six blind item, but uh, it's Brock Besser in Vancouver. Um, I would be interested in him. I believe he has two more years on his deal. He definitely has term left. Um, so if you're doing a hockey trade like that, you are going to also have to give up. Um, a lot of assets in return um, at the same time, because the salary cap at the latest board of governor's meetings, all of a sudden Gary Bettman is walking back from It's going to increase $4 million next year. It's only increased $1 million. A lot of teams are looking for that cost certainty. So that could make sense for the Rangers. As for defensemen, I mean, it's a tough market out there. There's a lot of teams that want blue line help. Um, pretty much any contender wants depth step back there, whether they're looking at a sixth or seventh defenseman. Um, there are guys available. You know, someone that I might look at is like Vlad uh, Garikov in, in Columbus. I, mean, I think he's going to be on the market. Um, but it's going to be tough to get a blue line deal done, especially someone who can just plug into your roster right away without giving up a lot.
1: I think for the Rangers, whichever defenseman they acquire, knowing it'll probably be a bottom pair guy is going to have to be somebody on the cheaper end of the spectrum. I also think when you talk about cost certainty for the Rangers, knowing all the big restricted free agents they have coming up, Lafreniere, Miller, heedle they're going to be, especially if the cap's only going to go up $1 million next year, they're going to be hard pressed to add a guy who's beyond a rental. I think they're more going to be focused on rentals, quite frankly. You know, the, the Kane thing is interesting. Like, Part of me feels like okay, there's all these reasons that you could check boxes and say okay, he makes sense for them. Panarin would love to play with him, all that stuff. But what for the Rangers does it make more sense to sort of spread that cap space around a little bit and maybe look to add depth? Maybe not as much of a flashy addition. I, you know, for me, I kind of go back and forth on it. I've heard people who think that they're going to be really heavily involved, I've heard from people who think maybe it's overblown. I, you know, I think time will tell with that. Do, Do you feel like? he's a guy that they really have their sights set on, or do you think it's it's kind of just one of those things that's fun to speculate on uh, at this early juncture? And they're monitoring
0: it. Um, I think it's definitely more speculation at this point than anything, and I would say this also. When I spoke to Kyle Davidson, the Blackhawks GM, last, um, it was – Friday, they were playing in Mini Minnesota. I'm so bad with the week, but like, I think that was like the 16th. And as of that day, he said, I've had zero specific conversations with any GMs about any of my UFAs, just kind of general conversation. So there's been no formal talks, at least that any side is trying to say, that have happened between the Rangers and the Blackhawks. Um, I think it's going to come down to what shape the Rangers look like when we get closer to March 3rd. And if they're starting to really look like that contender and they're like, this is our year, this is our window, let's go for it that interest will intensify. And if it's starting to look like this, where it's like, okay, the team looks good and they look like they compete with the best, but we're not so sure. Then it might be a more conservative approach. And someone like showtime might not necessarily be in
1: the cards. I'm also curious to see what happens with guys like Horvat or Tarasenko. Like, are some of those guys going to end up getting moved as well? Does does that deepen the market and maybe create a more diverse approach? Cause I I do know that Chris jury likes to really look at all possibilities. So They're going to be involved unless they fall off the cliff in in the next couple months, but they're aiming for the playoffs. They really want to have playoff games at MSG. As you noted, they had high hopes this season. So I, I do think with, especially given the cap space that they've cleared now to have space, at least for the deadline, that they're looking to be active. They should be one of the more aggressive teams.
0: Quickly, I'm though, because the Blues are one of those teams where they don't know which direction they're mm-hmm. going to go in. And their GM, Doug Armstrong, told me, I have a plan either way. I don't know when I'm going to commit to it or he wouldn't tell me when he's going to commit to a plan, but he's got a plan. Uh, the two guys there are Ryan O'Reilly. If you want center help, I mean, that's a guy who, again, has been through it before in the playoffs, can help you in a lot of different ways, might just need a bit of a change of scenery right now to push him along through the playoff run. Um, I think he's more likely to move than Vlad Tarasenko. Terasenko's pretty much been on the market for nearly two years now. They've held a firm asking price. And because he has trade protection, he's been very selective about where he wants to go. Now, maybe the Rangers are one of his preferred destinations. I'm sure it is for a lot of teams, um, but I just get the sense that a Tarasenko deal feels very unlikely at this point.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Cool. Cool. All right. So last thing before I let you out here, this is more general around the league. I don't know if you have any favorite storylines so far this season. Is there, are there teams that you find most impressive? Like, has your Stanley cup outlook changed anything really disappointing to you? Anything jump out in your mind so far as we sit, I don't know what 35 games ish about per, per team so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I didn't see the Devils coming. And as we're recording this, they're like a little bit of a mini slump. But it seems like what they built in the equity early in the season shows that they will be a playoff team and they can compete with the best as long as their goaltending holds up. How is that like always the qualifier for everybody? But it is. Um, But the most impressive team by far to me has been the Boston Bruins. Um, you know, again, a team that I don't know if anyone really expected much of. Like, okay, maybe they'll get to the playoffs. They had two key injuries early in Marchand and Charlie McAvoy, and holy cow, they got past that stretch looking great. And now both of those guys are there, and they look fantastic. Um, they've got a couple lines they can roll. They've got the depth. It really feels like they've got the swag and this mission to win one for Patrice Bergeron before he retires. So, like, that's the new team that I'm eyeing is the team to beat in the entire league.
1: Interesting. All right. A lot of people like in Boston recently. So the Rangers will see them again this season. That'll definitely be a matchup to look forward to. Emily, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the time. If you don't follow her already, get on it. I will, you you know, I don't have to tell you to follow her. You guys probably mostly do, but she does an awesome job covering the league. Awesome job on TV. Really, really appreciate you coming on and hopefully we'll do it again.
0: Vince, this was a pleasure for me. You, I like, I'm going to gush about you again and again. I'm not going to leave my Venmo open, but <laughs> okay, I uh, You Seriously, though, you, you've been kicking ass since you've joined the Beat. I know it's not an easy team to cover, and your passion and your work ethic totally come through. So um, I've been really happy to do this, and I'm looking forward to connecting next time I'm at MSG.
1: And we're back. Huge thank you to Emily for coming on the show today. A very big thank you as well for being so kind. I I don't think I deserved all that. And I'm sure part of it was just because she's on my show. So you have to be nice. But I very, very much appreciate the sentiment, especially coming from a reporter like her, who I respect so much. She's absolutely one of my favorites to follow and to read. And then you see the work that she does on TV. I think it's a real talent to be able to balance all of those different things. I know she's really well connected in the league, talks to GMs and executives and people like that. All the time, but then is also able to do her job as far as interviewing the players, being in between the benches, going on TV and doing analysis, and of course, doing some really great writing and reporting. So, the full package for sure, and definitely a pleasure to have her on the show. Hopefully, we'll be able to circle back. I know it's a little bit early for some of that trade deadline talk, but while I, like I said to her, while I had her on here, I had to at least touch on it a little bit and get an early feel. Where the market stands with what two well over two months to go before the, the trade deadline actually gets here on March 3rd. So, with that, we're gonna start looking ahead to some of these questions, which are topics that are kind of a little more present in the moment here. I'll say, and there were some pretty good ones, how to sort through them, and I end up settling on these three. We will start with Greg Venuto, who Asked a question that's relevant because of my recent trip to Hartford. So I did feel like I had a little more insight on this one and wanted to answer it here. Greg wrote, who do you think would be the number one call-up on defense and forward if an injury occurs? It's a it's a good question, Greg, because you look at this Hartford roster and there isn't necessarily one huge standout that you figure, okay, if there's any kind of an injury, this is absolutely going to be the guy. I think it depends on the situation. Now, of course, defensively, Zach Jones is a guy that I think would probably be first in line. He's he's played in the NHL before. You feel like there's some upside there, obviously, because of his prospect status and because of the skill that he has. I actually found it interesting, and I included this in my story. Chris Knobloch told me that Jones, at the level that he was at toward the end of the season last year with Hartford, there were often nights when he felt like Jones was the best player on the ice for either team. So that's pretty high praise. That tells you that Knobloch felt like Jones was not only their best player a lot of the time last season, but a best player on either team. That's including the opponent. So obviously Knobloch thinks highly of Jones. It didn't work out for him in the NHL. And I and I will say this as well, just to circle back a little bit, because I, I didn't I didn't offer too much detail in the first segment. That while I think there are very legitimate questions about the way that he was handled and about the, the lack of confidence that stemmed from him coming in and out of the lineup all the time, I don't think he played great in the NHL by any stretch. He only had two points in 16 games. I believe his expected goal against rate was the worst of anybody who's played for the Rangers this season. I've talked to people, scouts, people around the Rangers, et cetera, who are concerned with, and I know people hate hearing about the size thing all the time, but I've heard concerns about his ability to clear the net front and do some of those physically demanding things that your defensemen are required to do, especially in a bottom pair role. And I think this is the, this is the thing that is going to be tough for Jones to overcome. And it's very similar to what we said with Nils Lundqvist. Jones, we know, is great at handling the puck, at running the power play, at being a playmaker. But on a team with Adam Fox, who you know is going to get the vast majority of the power play time, for a guy like Jones, who the Rangers are only asking to play on their bottom pair because their top four is pretty much set, is that a role where he's going to succeed if he's not getting a lot of power time, if he's not going to have the puck as much as he's used to having it, if he's not going to be put in that playmaker position from the defenseman spot? From the bottom pair, what the Rangers want more than anything is defensively reliable guys, and obviously they didn't feel like he was quite there, and Jones admitted that to me when I spoke to him. He said the first words out of his mouth when we were talking about things that he's focused on at Hartford was defense, so... I do want to want to make sure that I make note of that as well. He didn't play well enough to earn the spot. I just wonder if he had been given more than five or six consecutive starts in a row. If they played him for a month or two, let him experience the growing pains. Would things have turned out differently? I don't know for sure what the answer to that question is, but it's a question that I have. So that's just kind of my little side note there. But I do still think that if the Rangers needed to call somebody up on the blue line, it would probably be Jones. Although you do still wonder if there will come a time when they finally want to give Matthew Robertson a look. Let's not forget Robertson was drafted around ahead of Jones in 2019. And when you talk about defensively reliable guys, guys with size, Robertson fits that bill. So I do, in the back of my mind, wonder if there will come a point where they decide, okay, it's time to give Robertson a look as well. It sounds like there have been some ups and downs for him with Hartford. They felt like he started strong, then he was dealing with some kind of an injury for a little while. It sounded like playing through it for the most part, but it might have affected him. And he told me when I spoke to him on Tuesday that he's feeling better now. So maybe that will start to pave the way for him to possibly get an NHL look in the near future as well. Both of those guys are left-handed, though. If the Rangers need a right-handed defenseman, I kind of think the guy at the top of the depth chart right now is Andy Walensky, which that's a journeyman guy. He's gotten some NHL looks, never been able to stick there. Certainly not the most exciting possibility. As for the forwards, this is where things get a little bit more interesting. I specifically asked Chris Knobloch if he felt like Will Cooley was ready. His answer was a little lukewarm. He said, I think he could hang. I think he'd be able to hold his own if he was called up there right now. But do I necessarily think that, that he's knocking on the door or dominating at the AHL level? The answer to that sounded like a no. He sounded like he still felt like there was some value for Will Cooley to continue in the AHL, that there's still some development that needs to be had. And I also thought that this was an interesting quote. I'm going to read you guys. A quote from Knobloch that stuck out to me. He was talking about his experience, and this is his fourth year as the Hartford head coach. And he was talking about his experience as far as seeing prospects and the timing on when they get called up and what happens when they get sent down, how that affects them mentally, all that kind of stuff. And he said, The quote is, I don't think there's ever been a time where they've been too patient with a player and end up thinking, quote, We missed our opportunity. We should have had this guy up. I think there's been a lot of times where we call them up and ruin his confidence. Then we had to send him back down and we're playing this yo yo with him. I think that's been an issue. End quote. So basically, if you're following what Knobloch is saying there, he's saying that if anything, He thinks the Rangers have rushed certain guys, and that has messed with their confidence. Whereas if they keep them in the AHL longer, let them develop more, let them get to the point where they are truly a standout dominant player at that level before they get called up, then they'll be ready to hit the ground running when they get to the NHL. His concern was if you bring a guy up too early, if you're not patient enough with him, and you end up playing what he called the yo-yo game, that's when all of a sudden it takes a little bit of a toll on them mentally and they start overthinking things and they start wondering if they're good enough and that doubt starts to creep in. So I thought that that was a really interesting quote from Knobloch. He basically said that he thinks the organization hasn't been patient enough with certain guys. And in Will Cooley's case, he felt like there are some reasons that maybe they should be a little bit more patient. With that being said... Cooley in the last couple weeks has been significantly better than he was early in the season. His point production is up. He's playing in the top six for them right now. He's on the power play. He's killing penalties. He's doing everything for them right now. And I know that they're happy with the way that he's progressing. So later on this season, could Cooley be in that conversation? I think he'll be fair game at a certain point for sure. Again, I do think he's probably the top forward prospect for Hartford right now, but he's also. A left winger, and we know that that's a very deep position for the Rangers. If they needed a more immediate call-up, I I absolutely think Ryan Carpenter would be in that conversation. Knobloch has was raving about the way that he's responded since the Rangers sent him down, and I think if the Rangers are looking for a veteran, versatile guy, guy that kills penalties, that sort of thing, Carpenter would probably be high up on the list of potential call-ups, especially if they needed somebody in the near future. Tim Gettinger is another veteran guy that has played in the NHL before, but he's hurt right now, so it sounds like he could be out for a little while, so Gettinger would be off the list right now. Another guy I was asking Knobloch about is Gustav Rydal, who Knobloch raved about him. I think he really likes him. He said he should have more points, but we know that this guy, at least during his time in Sweden, was not necessarily known as a point scorer. He's known as a really good skater, a really good defensive player. Nablok said he's been one of their top PK guys so far this season, and he seemed really happy with the way that Rydal is playing. So I think Rydal. remember he was one of the last guys to get cut from training camp. Him and Carpenter, I think, would be pretty high up on the list of potential call-ups if the Rangers needed to go down that route. So those are probably the leading forward candidates, I would say, as far as guys who might be called up from the Rangers. There's a couple other veteran guys, like for example, Turner Elson and Tanner Fritz. I know that they're both playing in the top six for Hartford right now. And and those are guys that they rely on a lot and have been fairly productive. But those are also kind of tweeners, if you will. Those feel like the baseball term would be quadruple A guys. They're not, you know, they're good, solid AHL players, but are they quality NHL players? Probably not. So I think those guys would be a little bit further down on the list. I don't think Carl Hendrickson is there yet. I don't think Bobby Trevino is there yet. So I think Rydal and Carpenter would be near the top of the list right now. And, And if they need a winger, eventually I think Cooley will absolutely be in that conversation. All right. Let's get to our next question here from Adam los 75 who wrote, My question is this. Do you, VZM, think that Drury is behind the decision to keep Blay in the lineup in order to try to save face? There's not one fan who believes Blay should be playing over Kratsov and Gauthier. I... I don't know if if there's a lot of people even fans beyond I'm talking about people in the organization who feel that Blay should be in the lineup right now and you look at what happened in Pittsburgh he takes that roughing penalty at the end of the second period and then he did not play in the third period Glant benched him and he only ended up playing a little over 5 minutes I think it was for the entire night and this came a, a couple days after Blay was a healthy scratch so clearly it's on Gallant's mind, it's on other people in the organization's mind The Blay has not been good enough for the Rangers this season. You look at a lot of the underlying metrics, he's one of their worst possession and shot rate forwards. He is a guy that you know they value for his physicality, but that doesn't seem to be very effective recently. He's getting a lot of hits, but what are those hits really doing for you? And we know one of the goals that the Rangers have had for their bottom six is to make it faster. And your your fourth line looks a lot faster with guys like Julian Gauthier and Johnny Brodzinski than it does with Sammy Blay, who quite frankly is a below average skater. So I think all these things are stacking up against him. And if Galant's concern is putting the best possible lineup out there for the next game against the Islanders, you have to believe that Blay is not going to be in the lineup. For for me. It seems like the logical decision, especially coming off of a game in which you benched him. So it's not a great situation for the Rangers. You touched on it a little bit there. You have to wonder deep down if, because Blay is the only remaining asset that they have from that Pavel Buchnevich trade, which is looking worse by the day for the Rangers, remember the second round pick that they got in that trade, they sent to Winnipeg in the Andrew Kopp deal. So Blay's the only asset they have left from that deal. And Blay's a guy right now that it's really hard to justify his spot in the lineup. In my opinion, given the current personnel, Gautier, Brodzinski, those are the type of guys who should be playing over him right now. I think they've done more to earn it in in recent times. I do think that Gautier's play dropped off after he had a pretty solid start for them in his first few weeks since being called up. But again, at least with him, you know he's bringing that speed element. Blay You don't use him on the penalty kill, so he's not helping you there. He's not not a great possession or shot rate forward, as I mentioned, and the speed is not there for him, and he doesn't score. In 40-something games since he got traded to the Rangers, he has not scored one goal. So there's not many reasons you can come up with for keeping him in the lineup. I understand they like him as a physical presence against maybe some of the heavier teams in the league, but... This league is predicated on speed above physicality, at least in my opinion, if you look at some of the best teams in the league. And so I would lean towards Gauthier in the lineup, no doubt about it. And you guys know that I feel like they need to play off because they've just, that yo-yo thing that we talked about, they've done way too much of that with him. So yes, I do think there's a, a decent chance you're going to see Blay coming out of the lineup. And I think that that's the right call for them right now. And as far as you know, whether there's some internal pressure to keep him in there to save face with that trade. I don't necessarily believe that that's something that is actively being pressed upon Gallant, but it has to be on the minds of people in the organization, including Gallant, that this is the guy that you gave up a really high quality forward for, and he's not working out for you. Of course, it would look much better for them if it did work out, but at a certain point, you have to put the interest of the team above the interest of saving face on a trade, and you have to put your best lineup out there. And right now, the Rangers' best lineup does not include Sammy Blay. So it's been a rough go for him. You feel for him, for sure. This is the guy who dealt with an ACL injury just when he seemed to be playing well. I really thought that he had been looking like he was ascending prior to that ACL injury last year, but that's an injury that's a tough one to recover from especially for a guy whose career is to skate and and we talked about his speed issue so he looks to me like so far this season he has just not had it nowhere near consistently enough and that's that's a tough pill to swallow because you you feel for the guy going through an injury like that at a point where maybe he was finally getting an opportunity but his opportunities in my opinion are kind of running out now and if the Rangers end up looking bad on that trade, so be it. They already look pretty bad on that trade. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing now. I understand that they weren't going to be able to sign Buchnevich long term, but any way you slice it, even if they were only able to keep Buch for one more season, that still, I think, would have been more valuable than what they've gotten in return for that trade so far. But <laughs> that's, a, that's something we've talked about plenty. I don't want to go too far down that road. But yes, final point being, Adam, I agree with you. I think that both Kratzoff and Gautier should be in the lineup above Blade right now. All right, final question comes from JT underscore NYR, who wrote, what are these perfect lines? Is it inevitable that Kreider goes back with Mika? Well, JT, of course, you're referencing what Galant said to me last week when I was asking him about why Krotzoff wasn't playing and, and Goudreau fitting in the top six and a variety of other lineup questions. And he responded by saying, Listen, I know what our perfect lines are. I just like the way that we're going right now. So he basically said that eventually he feels like the pieces all fit in certain places. He was acknowledging that Krotzoff is not a good fit necessarily on the fourth line. But he was, at the time, they were on a winning streak and he was saying, I'm not gonna mess with it now. I basically will go to those quote unquote perfect lines once I feel like, you know, we need to make the change. But right now we're winning and so I'm not going to mess with the good thing. That's essentially how I interpreted it. And the other way that I interpreted it, I wrote about this in the story coming off of that, that press conference. He was acknowledging that Kratsov is not a good fit on the fourth line. And he was also saying that he wants to pick his spots to play Kratsov on the top line with Sabanajad and Panarin, which you've seen them do for a handful of shifts in the last couple games. So to me, he was saying eventually, once Kratsov gets to the point where they're comfortable doing it, they see him moving up in the lineup, potentially playing on the same line with Panarin, who's a guy that I've told you before, he's constantly putting in extra work with before practice, after practice, all that kind of stuff. So I got the sense, and I even got the sense from talking to Kratzoff that because he hasn't played much really at all in the last year plus, and then he went through this string of healthy scratches, that throwing him back into the fire on the top line, playing a lot of minutes, playing against the top forwards for other teams, was something that the Rangers weren't comfortable doing. I can understand that, quite honestly. I, I couldn't understand why they let him be a healthy scratch for so long, but I do understand not asking him to play defense against Austin Matthews and Sidney Crosby and those type of guys right off the bat. You want to ease him into it a little bit more than that. And the conditioning and the game shape thing certainly plays into that as well. But it sounded to me like Gallant eventually wants to move him up, which you would then expect would mean Barclay Gaudreau comes back down and you can build your fourth line around Barclay Gaudreau potentially with Johnny Brodzinski and Julian Gauthier. And we talked about the speed element that those guys bring. And that feels like a really solid fourth line for the Rangers. We know he likes the kid line together. So I think the kid line and his ideal lineup is part of it. And then the panarin Zabanjad thing, he seems to want to give that more runway than he has in the past. So if you've got panarin Zabanjad kratsov you've got the kid line, and then we talked earlier about how well that Kreider-Trochek-VC line seems to be meshing. I think that that is what he was hinting at when he was talking about his perfect lines. So that feels to me like the point that he eventually wants to get to. They're close to there right now. The main thing would just be swapping Krotzoff and Goudreau. We'll see if he does that soon. We'll see if maybe he does have something else in mind. He did say, listen, there's always a chance we could go back to Zibanejad and Kreider together because of how well they work together. It sounds like he's not as excited by the idea of reuniting Panarin and Trocek. And again, because Trocheck and Kreider have been working really well together, I don't necessarily think he wants to change that right now. So it wouldn't surprise me if eventually Mika and Kreider are playing together again, but I don't necessarily think that that's what he meant when he was talking about perfect lines. Again, I think the main thing he was saying was, Kratsov isn't a great fit on the fourth line, and I know Goudreau's a guy that I can comfortably move down there and plays really well in that kind of a role, so that to me sounded more like what he was thinking of, and then in that situation, you could also envision him just like he's giving Kratsov some shifts up in the lineup now. I think if Kratsov were to start the game with Mika and Panarin, you could see, especially in defensive situations, Goudreau may be switching places with Kratsov later in a game as well. So I know Gallant likes that versatility when it comes to Gaudreau. but that that's how I interpreted it. We'll see if maybe he has something else up his sleeve. I never say never because these lines have changed so many times, but they have been fairly consistent for the last week or two. And now we're going to see if, if he keeps these together or if he makes a little tweak like the one that I'm talking about. All right. With that, we are going to end this week's show. It was a fun one. It was jam-packed. I want to make sure to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, a Happy Holiday season. Enjoy it. It comes and goes so quickly, but it's always fun. So hope you guys have a great time. Hope you get everything you want from Santa. Hope you get to see and spend a lot of time with some family. I want to thank you guys, as always, for all of the support This year in 2022. Our next episode, hard to believe it, will be in 2023. And then we're getting pretty close to episode 100. So that's another milestone that I'm definitely looking forward to checking off the list. But this would not be possible without all of you guys. I I love you all. I appreciate you all. You all are the best. You make this show what it is, you make this show fun. I hope you guys enjoy it nearly as much as I do. And again, Have a happy holiday season. Stay safe. Enjoy it. And I will talk to you guys, not next week, but in a couple weeks in 2024.
0: Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh,
1: human remains that are left.